Section 59 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 9 The Reef and the Manner of Using It. A week passed. Although it was the rainy season, it did not rain, which greatly rejoiced Gilead. What he had undertaken, however, was beyond human strength, in appearance at least. Success was so improbable that the attempt seemed like madness. Undertakings demonstrate their obstacles and perils when grappled with close at hand. There is nothing like commencing a thing, foreseeing how hard it will be to finish. All beginnings offer resistance. The first step which one takes is an inexorable revealer. The difficulty which one touches pricks like a thorn. Gilead was obliged to contend with obstacles immediately. In order to remove the engine of the Durand from the wreck, in which it was three-quarters buried, in order to attempt such a salvage, in such a place, at such a season, with any chance of success, it seemed as though a troop of men were necessary, and Gilead was alone. A whole outfit of carpenter's tools and machinery was necessary. Gilead had a saw, an axe, a chisel, and a hammer. A good workshop and a good shed of huts were required. Gilead had not even a roof. Provisions and stores were needed. Gilead had not even bread. If anyone could have seen Gilead at work on the reef during the whole of that week, he would not have been able to make out what the latter was aiming at. He seemed to be no longer thinking of the Durand or of the two Douvres. He was occupied only with what there was among the breakers. He appeared absorbed in saving the petty wreckage. He took advantage of the low tides to strip the reefs of all that the shipwreck had bestowed upon them. He went from rock to rock, picking up what the sea had cast there, fragments of canvas, ends of ropes, scraps of iron, bits of panels, crushed planking, broken yards, here a beam, there a chain, further on a pulley. At the same time he studied all the crevices of the reef. Not one of them was habitable, to the great disappointment of Gilead, who was cold at night in the crevices of the slabs of stones where he lodged on the summit of the great Douvre, and he would be glad to find a better attic. Two of these cavities were sufficiently spacious. Although the natural pavement of the rock was almost everywhere slanting and uneven, one could stand upright and walk in them. The wind and the rain came in at will there, but the highest tides did not reach them. They were close to the little Douvre and accessible at all hours. Gilliatt decided that one should serve as a storehouse, the other as a forge. With all the earrings and gaskets which he could collect, he made bales of the small bits of wreckage, binding the fragments into bundles and the canvas into packets. He lashed them all carefully together. As the rising tide floated these bales, he dragged them across the shoals to his storehouse. In the hollow of a rock he had found a top rope, which enabled him to haul even the larger pieces of timber work. In the same manner he drew from the sea the numerous fragments of chains scattered among the breakers. Gilead was astonishingly tenacious and active in this labor. He accomplished everything that he wished. Nothing resists an ant-like perseverance. At the end of the week, Gilead had all the shapeless bric-a-brac of the tempest arranged in order in that granite shed. There was a corner for tacks, 
and a corner for sheets. The bowlines were not mixed with the halyards. The ribs were arranged according to the number of their holes. The puddenings, carefully detached from the rings of the broken anchors, were rolled in balls. The dead-eyes, which had no shears, were separated from the tackle-blocks. The belaying-pins, the bull's-eyes, the outventer-shrouds, the gabarons, the goutereaux, the hollow cleats, the pendants, the flukes, the parrels, the stoppers, the booms, occupied different compartments provided that they were not completely damaged by the tempest. All the timber-work, the cross-trees, posts, stanchions, caps, port-lids, fishes, and binding-strakes were piled up separately. Wherever it had been possible, the dovetailed planks of the fragments of the ship's bottom had been fitted together again. There was no confusion of the reef-lines with the cable-nippers, nor of the crow-foot with the tow-lines nor of the pulleys of the shrouds with the pulleys of the white hawsers, nor of the pieces of strake with the pieces of waste. A corner had been reserved for a part of the cat-harpings of the Durand, which held taut the shrouds of the topmast and the futtock shrouds. Each sort of fragment had its place. The whole shipwreck was there, classed and labeled. It was a sort of storehouse of chaos. A staysail fastened by large stones, though very much riddled with holes, it is true, covered what the rain might damage. Splintered as had been the Durand's bow, Gilead had succeeded in saving both the catheads with their three pulleys. He found the bowsprit, and had much difficulty in unrolling the gammonings. They adhered very closely, having been, as always, with the end of the capstan, and in dry weather. Nevertheless Gilead detached them, since this large rope might be useful to him. He had also picked up the small anchor, which had remained caught in a hollow of the bottom, where it was uncovered at low tide. In what had been Tongrui's cabin he found a bit of chalk, and he laid it carefully aside. He might have to make marks. A leather fire-bucket and several pails in a tolerably good condition completed this working outfit. All that remained of the Durand's stock of coal was carried to the storeroom. In a week this salvage of fragments was finished. The reef was cleaned, and the Durand lightened. Nothing now remained on the wreck but the engine. The bit of the forward planking which adhered to the after part did not disturb the wreck. It hung without any tension, being sustained by a projection of the rock. Moreover, it was large and wide, and heavy to drag and it would have encumbered the storehouse. This strip of planking had the appearance of a raft. Gilead left it where it was. Gilead, profoundly thoughtful during this labor, sought in vain for the figurehead or doll of the Durand. It was one of the things which the waves had carried away forever. Gilead would have given his two hands to find it had he not stood in such need of them. At the entrance of the storehouse, and outside of it, two heaps of refuse were visible, one of iron, fit for reforging, the other of wood, fit for burning. Gilead was at work by daybreak. He took not a moment's rest except the hours of sleep. The cormorants flying hither and thither watched him at his work. End of chapter 9. The Reef and the Manner of Using It.